Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Build Shop Podcast. I am one half of the hosting crew, Ryan Brown, and I'd like to welcome my partner in crime for today's show and every other show. Mike, how's it going? RB, I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing good. I'm bringing energy today, man. I'm all excited. You know, we had a we had a busy weekend of golf, including a nice Monday finish because it was a Labor Day holiday weekend for us in North America here. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be one of the first things we're going to talk about. You know, we are going to touch on the Tour Championship. We're going to touch on some listener Q&A, which is always fun. But uh, right off the bat, how can we not talk about the biggest team competition in women's golf? And that is the Solheim Cup, which uh, was won by the Europeans. Now, again, I have no, you know, skin in the game when it comes to the the, the Europe or United States, but I'm on Team Europe. So uh, I was happy to see the outcome, Mike. Did you see any, any did you catch any of it? I, uh, I saw the, uh, you know, bits of opening ceremonies and, and some other stuff, you know, some play throughout the weekend. It was, uh, it was fun. It was cool. It was an all women's broadcast as well, um, from golf channel and NBC and our CBS or whoever was covering it. And, uh, it was cool to see other guys like, or guys like Bubba Watson was there, um, supporting and stuff like that. And that's, that's cool. You know, the, you know, the Solheim cup is, is just as important as, as what a Ryder cup is. It just doesn't get enough, you know, credit because it's a woman's sport, unfortunately, but it, it's nice to see the support that they had this week. And, uh, you know, it's always, it's always nice to see the events that we didn't get to see last year, just come back to, to normal times. Yeah. And it was, it was quite the contrast. Like I know, um, you know, I f- follow a lot of golf stuff on Twitter and it seemed like most people were really primed for the Solheim Cup versus the Tour Championship. Now, maybe it's because, you know, I live in the Twitter bubble that I do and the people that I follow. But it certainly seemed like there was a big contrast between uh, a team exhibition event where no money is officially on the line in any way, shape or form. And a bunch of players playing for a whack load of money that, you know, really came down to a two horse race for the last two days. And, you know, it didn't seem like as many people were really paying attention to it or amped up and kind of geared up for it versus the Solheim Cup, which was also, in contrast, played on a golf course that was just looking absolutely ridiculous. Everything was awesome. Like you saw shots running up to the hole, uh, like just it was playing fiery. I mean, it got a little bit of rain, but it was playing fiery. That uh, that Jennifer Cup or is her name Jennifer? Jennifer Cup well, show. Yeah. Yeah. She can putt, man. I mean, oh, yeah. she can hit it. She hits a good ball. They all hit it very well. But I always find within Ryder Cup, President's Cup, Solheim Cup, they take that. And I said, I think we said this last show, they take lines that they normally wouldn't take, I think, because they have a chance. They're like, well, it's just just a whole match. It's not a it's not the you know, it's not a stroke play match. Um, they just they just made some ridiculous amounts of putts, obviously not enough to to take the W, but she can putt. That's for sure. I know there was uh, I, there was a lot of shots. Uh, there was one I think um, Mel Reed hit it on the I guess, second day. So I think it was Saturday. No Sunday. Sorry. So Sunday, um, and it like hit like she fired it right at the stick, mm-hmm. and it hit in the rough just like perfectly. Now again, was it a miss hit? Was it like the shot she was trying to hit? I I, I don't assume a lot of people are aiming for the eighteen inch band of rough just in front of the pin, but for that to hit it and then just kind of trickle down. Versus even hitting the downslope and ending up ten feet, which was still been an amazing shot, but ended up there. We saw uh, shots. I can't believe it was one of the par fives where you know it was basically like followed up by fo- like follow up. Like someone already hit close, and then uh, the other one came in like literally on top of it and hit it, hit the ball like next to the hole. 
Like we saw all kinds of action that I thought was really cool. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about the um, like experience versus the rookies. And, you know, we've, we've had uh, Lexi Thompson who's played in a number of uh, Solheim cups, have the quarters before as well. Uh, and it really came down to the rookies on Europe's team. Um, definitely uh, most notably, I should say, sorry, is uh, Leona, Leona McGuire, you know, as a, as a rookie went four Oh and one, which Crazy. I thought was really interesting because I've read, there's been a number of breakdowns, right? Everyone, it's the breakdown after the breakdown, after the breakdown, whoever wins, whoever loses. Right. And there were some interesting captain's decisions because, you know, in some cases on the, on the American team, because they really stuck to their pod system, they didn't change things around. Whereas the Europe's, the, if someone had a hot hand, Leona did like they put her out there in another match and she kept rolling. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. It's, I mean, there's so, I, I, at one point I met someone who did stats for these types of team events and they were doing, I think stats for the Lakers at one point or something. I can't remember who they were doing stats for. And anyways, the European team, hired these two guys to run all these stats and i mean honestly some of the some of the like tracking they did to see who would pair up the best and when they would pair up the best but you're right if the if the player is hot and she can you know turn around really quickly and go out and play again then that's what i would do i just keep them just keep them rolling yeah there was a there was a stats guy on uh, a recent episode of the friday uh hosted mm-hmm. by uh, garrett morrison and um, I listened to the whole thing just before the Solheim cup. And he was, he talked about the Ryder cup more focusedly because there are more stats available in men's golf when it comes to shot link and those kind of things, which, which is starting to catch up thanks to KPMG sponsoring a lot more of the stats on the LPGA tour. But a lot of it came down to, you know, contrasting styles. A lot of people talk about, you know, two players that hit relatively the same distance. Whereas this, this guy was, was really focused on the idea of, you know, if you pair a someone who can really great short game, who maybe not be like a longer hitter versus with a longer hitter, right? Their contrasting games actually work better, which in some cases doesn't always work out. And you know, it's, it's again, I think it, there is some course fit, right? You got, for example, for Lee coming up to the the Ryder Cup, and you've got Whistling Straits is, is a beast of a golf course. And then you have, I mean, it's not that um, Inverness was not a, a firm test of golf. By any means, it was actually, I thought it was more set up like a, a women's U.S. Open. It was so firm and fast. Mm-hmm. But I always find that very interesting. Like when you play, if you've ever played alternate shot in like a club event or anything like that, do you remember the last time you did it? Because I can remember the last time I did it. It was a long time ago. Yeah, my dad and I played in a father-son back in the day at a, at an old course that I used to be a member at. And it was alternate shot. And it's, it's I mean, it's difficult. I mean, there's, you know, you got to it really shows the you know wide range of shots that you can hit because if someone puts you in trouble off the tee, then obviously you have some issues, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's something that I don't think maybe enough clubs or, you know, you know, if you're out with the the boys or the girls that you could play and it'd be a different format. And I think it'd be, I think it's fun to do. It's just, it's very different. It's not, it's not a common format that you see all the time. Yeah. I know. Like, um, I remember being blindly paired in an alternate shot years ago for, yeah, it's going to sound, it's like very cheesy. It was a very just fun, fun, silly event, but it was a, a global tournament mm. played from, I think the forward up tees. Uh, Cause these things did not go like the fullest, like I don't think global balls go that far anyways, but 
it was a fun event to play with. And I played with a much older guy who was like a probably close to a 20, 25 handicap. And together we only shot like 30, we shot 39. And I thought if we broke 45, I would have been really happy, but it was kind of one of those things where, you know, he did okay putting and, you know, you didn't, you, you, you kind of feel like you don't want to put someone else in a, in a bad spot almost. Right. And so you play a little conservatively. And then at that point, you know, if you're not trying to make, you're not trying to shoot 30 and you're just trying to, you know, keep it under 40 or whatever, whatever your handicap range is. Right. I always find that interesting. Whereas when you have two better players, right. And they're just firing at things like it's kind of exciting to see that. I mean, there are cases when you have Tiger and Phil at the Ryder cup, which was a complete disaster, <laughs> which I think people always reference. But it is an interesting element of the alternate shot format, which I think in part is why a lot of people generally are scared to do that format because you feel like there's just going to be like big numbers when you're pairing it. Whereas in reality, I don't think that's always the case. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Now, the other part, uh, before we get off of the of the Solheim Cup, what I think is really interesting with it this year, especially because of delays and because of everything else that's happened, um, with, with COVID and, and events being delayed and all that stuff is that we are going to go Solheim cup in a couple of weeks, the Ryder cup. And, you know, we don't normally get that. And it's actually, to me, I think it's, it's a really cool element that we're going to get this year of being able to see team match play back to back, which is really interesting. And it begs the question again, because the Ryder cup has a lot of history, the Solheim cup, the history of it is for those who don't know, uh, was Karsten Solheim, founder of Ping, always a supporter of women's golf. And he started this as something that was like the Ryder Cup. It went through, I think, a couple slight format tweaks over the years. Um, but it is basically the, the women's version of the Ryder Cup. And it was all because of hats off to Karsten Solheim and Ping for having it. I know one of his sons were there uh, promoting the event and talking about it. And, you know, now the next question is why don't they do this with, with mixed teams? Like this is the one event where you could take the president's cup, which kind of plays second fiddle to the Ryder cup. And it's always interesting to see why not make that a, a USA versus a world. And you can, I don't know if you want to include Europe or not, but in this case, then you would get a lot of the, the Chinese players, South Korean players, you would get the Australians all involved in it. And I think to me, and Canadians, you know, we got Brooke Henderson, we have, a, we have Elena Sharp, we have a number of Canadian players out there. Like, why, like, it seems to me like, uh, I want to say it's like the easiest decision to make. Like, it's not aligned to the PGA. I know the PGA Tour owns the President's Cups, and that's kind of one of the reasons why they did it, was to have their own kind of thing. But to me, that would be like the coolest element of it. And, you know, I wish we did it in the, in the Olympics too, right? We see mixed events in the Olympics. Why don't they do this in, in golf? Because we don't get enough. And I think it's a, it's a missed opportunity all the time. Yeah, I mean, there, is, there was that event, the World, the World Golf Cup or Cup, whatever it was called. Anyways, the trophy is, um, it's actually in the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. Um, and I don't know the last time it was played, but there was a, it was a, you know, lack of a better term, two man teams from each country that would go and play for this world cup kind of thing. Um, and I definitely think with, with mixed events, you know, you know, a team of, you know, one guy, one girl from, you know, PJ LPJ tour, the best in your country, I think could compete. I think that would be a, a really cool event. I know that they did it, uh, 
it was like used to be like a silly season event. It was the Wendy's three tour challenge. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So it was like champions tour player, uh, PGA tour player and LPGA tour player. And, you know, it was always entertaining. Like that's to think that we had the amount of people. And again, I, I think we talked about this a little bit, like tuning in on, so, on, on social media and seeing how people were excited for the Solheim cup versus the tour championship just came down to like a two person race almost towards the end. It's like, there is, is such an, an opportunity to showcase golf where, you know, it's not necessarily about the money. It's about the competition. It's about a vested interest in, uh, you know, a country or a team element, which we don't see enough of as anything else, like the PJ tour season ended and we're going to be rolling into another season, you know, checks watch next week, this week, basically. And so Crazy. with all of that going on, you know, scarcity breeds demand. Mm-hmm. football's back. People are pumped for football because it's only on for 17, 18 weeks a year. And for golf to have these events, people get jacked up for the Ryder cup because, you know, it doesn't happen every year. Yeah. And you no, know, it's just one of those things where I think that there's such an, an opportunity here uh, for it to continue to expand that I'm hoping there's something down the line. Um, the, the only tough thing with golf though, is because they've played so many weeks already and it's a wraparound season. Like, yes, and this is not a a dig at the PGA Tour, but the next couple of events that are the wraparound, very rarely are we going to see the big names because they don't care. I'd be shocked. Yeah, they're wiped. They're loaded to the gills (laughs) with cash. Um, And they, you know, for them to win the, I hate to say, the Sanderson Farm Open, they don't care. Um, they don't want to win the Napa Open. I'd love to be the Napa Open champion. I'd be swimming in a bucket of wine, but <laughs> it's it's one of those where it's like, you know, those are the events that, you know, I mean, that's how Stuart Sink has made his money this year. He started his career, you know, his season last year in Napa, I'm pretty sure. Um, so it's great to see other guys win, but I think for the majority of the people watching, um, you know, if the big names aren't in there, it's kind of boring golf. We would watch cause it's obviously golf is golf, but for the rest of the demographic, I just don't think they'll watch if, if, you know, Brooks or Bryson or Rom are not, not in the mix kind of thing, Ricky yeah. and, and DJ and Spieth. It's almost like, you know, and I've, again, we've used this analogy before. It's, it's not a new one by any means, but we talk about, I used football in the past, like F1, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard this week that Netflix has partnered with the PGA Tour. I believe it was, I, I want to give proper credit, I believe it was Dylan DeShare from Golf.com who had broken the news that they were they had officially basically signed the paperwork and it was a done deal that they're going to do this drive to survive. Now, I, I chimed in and I said, uh, I think because it's golf, they should call it putt to survive. Drum snake there. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that gives us the opportunity for, for golf or sorry, for, um, for F1 is that not only again, not only there's, there's not a lot of weeks, there's a lot of lead up into those things, which is always exciting. You have the scarcity of only so many events a year. And then the other thing with the PJ tour is, you know, let's be a little clear on the messaging, right? You know, they're not always the most forward when it comes, especially considering they are a league that is partnered with gambling to hear about injuries, to hear about, uh, like again, injury reports is a big one and all these other elements that go into the tour that, you know, others like the NFL has like, how many, how many injury reports do you hear? Like someone stubs their toe, 
Like I don't even follow the NFL. And I know if a quarterback stubs their toe, cause it's all over my Twitter. It's all over like TSN or ESPN, whatever you tune into. Right. Because they have to record these things or, you know, hockey has lower body injury or uh, whatever playoff, you know, you still hear about it. And that's going to be the interesting thing going forward with that. But yeah, it comes down to the scarcity element. I could, I could rant all night about this stuff, but I feel I don't want to go on every week and talk about this kind of thing. So let's get to it. How much of the tour championship did you watch? And did you enjoy watching it come down to two of the hottest players on, on the planet right now? Yeah, you know what? I, I watched uh, on and off throughout the week, and uh, I watched Sunday's final round, the last couple hours of it. It was I thought it was really good. I mean, it was cool that it was head-to-head with the last you know, couple guys. I saw that, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Joaquin Neiman or whatever, however you say his name. Oh, you nailed it. Um, you know, an hour and 40, an hour and 52 minutes for 18 holes of golf or something. So that's my kind of golf, but, uh, yeah. it was good. I thought Cantley hit some great shots in the end. I thought Rom hit some great shots in the end, you know, it was a battle for $15 million. Um, I think it's great. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought Eastlake looked tip top condition. I love how the PJ tour and golf channel are starting to show more kind of behind the scenes stuff as well throughout the clubhouse. I mean, I know for a lot of people who have not been to a certain club, they want to see what the clubhouse looks like. They want to see what the practice facility looks like. So they were showing some of that over the weekend, which is cool. Um, I have an invite to play Eastlake, which is awesome. So it's always neat to see it on TV and hopefully get out there ASAP. But um, yeah, I thought the tour championship did a good job, but um I almost wish they wouldn't start the players at a certain score. I wish everyone was even to start the week. Um, I mean, 10 under to start. I don't know. I just think it's, I don't know. I think it's a little dumb. Um, well, the unofficial winners and the winners of the most world golf rankings for the unofficial win were John Rahm and Kevin Na who tied, right? right. Like there is the shadow leaderboard for the, the, the world golf rankings, but for the PJ tour, like they're going to look at it and say, you know, Patrick can't lay one. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, uh, it's a little, a little iffy. And then, I mean, even too, like, I almost wish, uh, one of the playoffs was, uh, was a match play event. I always think match plays fun. Um, you know, and, and, you know, who, you know, there's always stronger match play players than there are stroke play players. And, you know, Look at Poulter for an example. You know, when it comes down to that, if if he was in the playoffs and he was playing for fifteen million dollars, I mean, your match, you know, those match play players will shine, and it could have been a totally different story. Um, but yeah, no, I thought the Tour Championship they they did a good job. Can you imagine? I think I think Poulter would just be sitting there going, "Okay, I've made it to the finals. I'm guaranteed." Like you know, as John Rom said, it feels weird to lose and still not and not be happy about winning five million freaking dollars. Um, which I know is broken down. I'd love to see what I'd love to see now is see like the tax breakdown of all this money. Everyone keeps tweeting how much shot every shot was worth. I don't know how much each one was taxed on everything. Yeah. But plus it goes to their pension too, right? That's yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, I'd like to see a, I'd love to see it in a match play format or some type of stepped event. You know, I don't, I don't think uh, I, I, I've heard it, but I know people are saying it more of just like a why not scenario, which is have an aggregate score. But then you have a course like Kays Valley where you have two players go to minus 20 something and it's like, okay, that's great. So now you have two players at minus 20 something and then you go to the next event and they start at minus 20 
and someone else is at plus whatever. That's silly. That doesn't make any sense. Although no player yeah. finished over par at Kays Valley, which goes to show either how easy the course was or, um, you know, just how good the other players are just, they're obviously the best players in the world. But from there, you had this like contrast of a match play event with no money in the line and a stroke play event where there's a lot of money on the line. And it still seemed like I'm sure the ratings will come out. And at some point, you know, I'm sure the tour championship probably ranked a little bit higher, but there's no way that they were like neck and neck. You know, we had Labor Day weekend, people were out doing things. And I think that from the tour's perspective, it's like, you've got to do something because I always use my dad as an example. I don't know how it works with like you and the people you watch golf with, but like I, t- I talk with my dad and he'd be like, what is, what does it mean? Like during the season, like what is the FedEx Cup? Been on for 15 years, you don't understand. Now, again, he watches golf almost every week or tunes in every other week or kind of thing. Like he pays attention to it, watches the majors, but he has no idea what it is. Like he still doesn't understand what it means or what a point yeah. is worth or any of those things. And I'm not like, I'm not dragging the, the whole thing. I think there, there had, there is, it's cool to have this thing lead up. It used to just be the money list. Top 30 gets into East Lake. You get all your exemptions for the majors, all that other stuff. You get a ton of money. It's a good, it's a great thing to be there. But if you're trying to draw some type of interest to have this staggered leaderboard is just odd. And I don't, I, again, I don't really like it. Uh, but you know, another week, Patrick Cantley won. He won. We'll, we'll just say it. He won the event and still playing some older gear, which is always very yeah. interesting, right? You got TSI, TS3 and almost said TSI three there. He's still got a 915 Ferrywood. He's got some AP twos in the bag. He's got a mixed bag of SM eight and SM sevens in there. Um, it is interesting because you know we talked about this when he won uh, and beat Bryson in the playoff the week before, but there's something to just like sticking to your guns and not changing up gear, right? And you know, and, and to the exact contrast, uh, shout out to our friend Johnny Wonder over at Callaway who likes to, you know, he's a Callaway guy. I know he, he got a, he's going to say what he's going to say anyways, and we love you, Johnny. Um, is that Rom finished first in so many categories this year? And everyone is worried that his equipment change is going to screw him up. And I think yeah. it goes to show that a, what someone who is a field player when he gets the right fields and he gets and the and kudos to Callaway for giving him all getting him all set up with new ball, new wedges, new everything, new shoes, new Travis Matthews gear. He's hooked up top to bottom. Even got some top golf. I mean, that has nothing to do with the way he plays golf, but all of that stuff. And he played amazing all season long. So was the Nike product just that bad for Rory or was he just didn't know what to do with his money? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's, you know, that I know there was a, who was it? it will, again, those, I think those it was, were, a, those were a brutal few years. Those were a brutal year for Rory to watch him play golf like that. It, yeah, it wasn't very good. And um, I know I won't uh, talking to some former people uh, who used to be on, on gear. Like I never think I, if we're talking irons and wedges, and in most cases, putters and everything like that. I thought Nike did a, like a wicked job. You know, I've got I got Vapor Pro combos. I got original VR combos. We've got blades. I know you and I used to always talk about the original VR uh, Victory Red blades with the little stripe across the back. Like those were never bad product. No, no, like, no, ever. But I mean, if some- you know, if anyone's if anyone's ever hearing of the word Endo Forge, if that stuff's coming out of that factory, the product's going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, and when your team is who, you know, the engineering team plus the build team at Nike, they were smart dudes. And then plus you had, I hate to say, it, I mean, Tiger's input on 
pretty much everything that they produced. Um, you know, and plus there are other staffers, but at the end of the day, it was, you know, Tigers, you know, had a ton of input. So um, the product has to be good. You know, the, no matter how much money Nike has and how much they were paying Tiger Woods, at the end of the day, there's still a, there's still a side of you that you want to play performance. Then again, if someone was paying me over $40 million <laughs> a year to play equipment, I'd be using a Canadian tire set right now. But it's, I don't know, it's their product was definitely good. Were the woods lacking? Yeah, I mean, I hit a VR Pro Limited driver this weekend on the range. Um, I have a, an old one, nine, nine and a half degree driver with a DI seven X in it. Is that um, the fixed hosel one? Like the real, like the, the yeah, LTD bonded, one bonded yeah. hosel. Um, and, uh, a midsize Nike Lampkin crossline cord grip on it. And, uh, I just, you, it was the, it even possible to turn that thing over, Mike? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. It felt, <laughs> it felt great. It's, it feels super soft to me for some reason. Um, and I never used that driver. It was given to me a long, long time ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the product was, the product was money. I thought the covert and the vapor stuff wasn't that great, but that's enough about Nike. This is not a Nike podcast. I love to get nostalgic with the Nike gear. Everyone knows I've like, if you follow me on Instagram, I got tons of stuff, you know, RDS breath, check it out. Um, I want a little, I want a little SQ five wood. Those were so good. Or a little covert five wood. I had the, um, I remember back in my day working big box golf retail, three of the people, three of the guys that were all roughly the same age. We all got the SQ tour drivers and they were good. Like, no, none of us were like, I was the shortest of the three of us, but they were like, these guys didn't lose distance. Like they hit them really well. And then I always remember the pear shape of the original ignite. There was the 410 and the 460. Good luck. If you're trying to find an ignite 410, like they're almost impossible to find online. It must be whoever got them definitely held on to them, but you know, there was, they made great stuff. I had to, I had to, they, the, Drivers weren't great because they were the next evolution of the, the SQ, but the Dymo fairway woods, I played those for a year, I think almost two years because they had this really cool like quad cut sole. So they, they didn't really dig. Um, I liked it. I thought they did a lot of really cool stuff, but it was just like, it goes to show for like for a company like Nike, like they just weren't making the margins that they were on clothing and shoes and those kind of things. And they just decided to pull the plug. But in reality, like, again, it was good gear. Now, you know, we digressed from a conversation about John Rom, but you know, this year they originally weren't going to release the TCBs. They're going to be a Europe only thing. And then they brought those over and I think they look amazing. So it's good. Such a good set of golf clubs. Like I know I hate to say it, the quality of head and tolerance of head is better than X forged. Really? Yeah. It just, just like I'm being picky, but I've built a couple sets with them and I don't know. Just, it feels different. It looks different. You know, a customer who came to pick them up one time, I was like, man, these look great. He's like, Oh, have you hit them? I said, no, I haven't hit them. He's like, well, go hit them. So I was like hitting this guy's irons in the bay and <laughs> he just built, they them. felt great. They look great. Um, you know, if I was to put a Cowley iron in the bag, I'd probably put a set of TCBs in the bag. No, no, no questions asked. 100%. I think it's their best looking iron for sure. Um, a raw set would be amazing to fit that, you know, they offered the raw in retail form, which I thought was really cool. Um, there's something about that, the hosel transition to the, the top line, which I think looks really good in that iron. Um, I know you just mentioned the X forged. I think it was Callaway, Japan 
they had a player holding up a new iron and it looked like the X forge. Someone on, on Instagram actually sent it to me. It was, Hey, did you see the new X forge? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't, I don't follow Cowboy Japan. Like I wasn't paying attention to it. And he, he said, he sent the post over to me and it looks like the X forge in like a previous generation had a baby. So it looks pretty clean. I don't know what any technology it was literally like a picture from far away. Um, but it is, I think, the X Forge is a weird iron in their lineup because like they have the player stuff in the Apex, they've got the TCB. It's like, where does it fit? Yeah. Uh, which I don't really understand. But you know, I get I think as far as Cali is concerned in the gear that they offer, especially for a lot of their tour players, which you know, in, in most cases you can get down the line when we talk about triple diamond stuff. Although every single time, I know I'm I've never seen one in person. I'd love to see it in person. I'm gonna I'm, I'm, next time I see him, I'm gonna ask our, our buddy Johnny, like if he's ever seen one of these things, which I'm sure he has is the super deep face three diamond D uh, three diamond T fairy wood. Like yeah. I've seen pictures of comparisons, even to the triple diamond. This is the deepest freaking fairy wood I've ever seen. Like it looks deeper than the old PT Titleist. Like that's how deep this thing is. I just want to like hit it. The thing I always get a kick out of is like golf equipment, nutcases when they see anything triple diamond or anything bonded fairy wood that you can't get people always use the word unicorn and it's oh, yeah. to me so funny that oh my god this is a unicorn this is a unicorn so if you ever see a photo that's posted like that you see myself mike txg plug 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 post i uh, just in a unicorn emoji <laughs> just because it's me taking the piss out of people calling it a unicorn i you know it is like I think it's such a cool head. Now, like, I know, again, when the first time I posted it, when it showed up, I was like, I had so many people ask me, like, and like, these are good high swing speed players. Like, they're like, oh my God, I haven't seen a fairway like that in so long. How do I get one of these things? And I'm like, well, you're probably going to have to ask John Rom if you run into him on the street for like one of his fairway woods. Uh, but it is, it is one of those things where it's not really something where, uh, a lot of players are going to gravitate towards. And like, I'll put the question, you know, we'll get back to, to Rom and the tour championship in just a second here, because you know, you made, well, yeah, I'll touch on it after <laughs> I want to, I want to make a very good point on that. Um, but in, in a custom fitting shop, obviously TXG, we fit people of all abilities, high handicappers, low handicappers. Um, what would you say is the average not only, I don't, I don't want to age or anything like that or, or gender or whatever it happens to be, but what is the average handicap range that you see and fit? Because I think a lot of people look at blades and small cavity backs and we love talking about them. Right. But in reality, like there's fewer of those players than there are someone who's going to walk in and get a set of G 25s or a set of seven nineties. Right. Is, is that not the case? Cause I remember my perception leading into the industry years ago was, I can't wait to fit all these like low handicap players. And you realize, oh yeah, there really aren't that many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, some say they're low handicap, but no. Um, I would say the range of handicap would be a low end would be five to honestly 25. And I, and I had uh, myself and, and Patrick in the Mississauga studio on the weekend. We had a couple of, we had a couple husband and wife and uh he was a 15 handicap she might have been a 25 handicap um you know retirement presents for each other and they were coming in for the full experience and you know i love when a customer says 
you know, I always say like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? They're like, you're the boss, you know, you're the, you're the fitter, you tell me. And that's when you can really just trust the numbers and, and keep giving them things. And the, again, going off on a tangent tonight, but uh, the range, yeah, I would say honestly five to 25 and people are going to think that's a huge range, but really we see 10 handicaps, 13 handicaps, 18 handicaps. Uh, tonight we had a, you know, guy said he's a 30 handicap. Um, I think handicap puts too much pressure on a lot of people, um, but you can be of any skill level and coming for a fit. That's, that's no issue. Yeah. And that actually, I'm going to ask you that in a little bit when we get to our, our listener Q and a, because I've had a question come up a couple, uh, a couple times. It came up on the TXG official TXG Instagram. I answer questions on there all the time to help people out. Um, and that is, you know, am I good enough to get a fitting? And again, we'll touch on that in just a second. But before we get to the Q&A, the one last point I want to make, Mike, and you made a, you, you mentioned it earlier, was uh, Joaquin Neiman had the unofficial now fastest single like round of the, at the Tour Championship, at least, beat Kevin Na's under two-hour mark. You think he did it in an hour and 53 minutes. And it was only after, I think, he said he, he made a triple on like one of the holes on the front. He said, okay, I... I can't remember the exact quote, but there was a good story. I think it was on Golf Digest where they, they talked about it. And so let's for a second remember, this is the end of the year tournament, the culminating event where there's a lot of money on the line. And one of the players who was playing by himself because there was an injury withdrawal from Brooks Keppa, which, you know, could have Ryder Cup implications, uh, which is very interesting, especially too with, you know, Patrick Reed not playing very well and, and being sick recently with the, uh, the ammonia as well, but you know, is, is the person who's going out leading, you know, on Sunday with Jeff Knox at the masters, are they going to run around, you know, just to set no, because they don't to them. It's just, it's more money in the bank. There's no, there's nothing to it. It's like, you know, no one else is doing that at any other event, but for some reason, you know, it's become the, the sport of the tour championship now is who can set the finest or fastest final round and get their check and get in their private jet as quickly as possible. Like, yeah, it just, it makes, it drives me nuts. Um, well, and the thing is too, like, there's no, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't know his uh, schedule, but I'm sure he's carrying a jet going somewhere, going to Florida. <laughs> I mean, they all live in Jupiter. They all live on the West coast. So they're probably sharing a jet going somewhere. So it's not like he was in a rush to get out of there. Um, now, if he was but at the I Memorial, he probably want to get some of those Jack Nicholas milkshakes at him. Neiman's not a yeah. big guy. He probably wants to get a couple of those down. But I mean, I wouldn't run around Augusta if, even if it was, if I was in dead last at Augusta <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, my, my, my career might be over after Augusta, right? Might not make another tour event, might not make play the Masters ever again. I'm going to make that the longest round of golf <laughs> ever. Because um, you've got four rounds in at Augusta, you're going to make some type of coin, and you get to be first off on a Sunday morning when the course is absolutely ridiculous condition. So, um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a, you know, there are slow players on the PGA Tour. There are um, players that hate the slow play, and I think maybe this is just a way of adding a bit of entertainment for golf. But you know, you know, trying to say, hey, I can, you know, we can play fast. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, good for him. It's impressive, but I don't know. I'd be taking my time. <laughs> it's, uh, I think you mentioned Augusta there. And I think, uh, speaking of enjoying a round of golf, one of my favorite, like little anecdotes from, I think someone who was always like, always had the tag of like a little bit of a bad boy 
on the PGA tour. And I know he's had some issues recent, like recently, like, not recently, but you know, in the last number of years um, is Ken green. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story, Mike, but he was playing, I believe it was a, a, I want to say it was either a practice round or it was in one of the other rounds on like a Friday afternoon where he wasn't going to make the cut. It was one of the few times he'd ever played Augusta nationally. He was someone who didn't get a chance to play there very often. Um, but he actually paid a patron to go grab two beers. And he had said, because he had, he'd like, can you buy me two beers? And he, he's like, kind of looked at him weird and he walked back over and he said, you know, if I'm playing Augusta national with Arnold Palmer, you can't say that I'm, and I guess the folks at Augusta weren't too happy at the time, but uh, you know, I'm going to have a beer with Arnold Palmer playing in the masters. And I, again, I think it was on a practice round. I don't want to say that it was on a, on an actual tournament day. Um, so I'm sure a viewer can, or listener, sorry, um, could chime in if I was incorrect, but I always thought that was kind of funny because, you know, not that I'm encouraging the idea of completely rebelling against, you know, the idea of the rules that are in place at an event, but I thought the mindset was right. Just to your point there, right? Like if you're going to go out and do that, you might as well go out and have some fun while you're at it. So, uh, that was a good point. Um, so we got a listener Q and a. And I, I will start with the one that I think is again, one that I've had come up in the past and came up this past week is I don't think I'm good enough to be fit. What do you, what is your answer to that Mike? When someone says that to you, because to me, it's like saying I'm not the right body type to get fit for a suit. It's like, no, everyone can get fit for a suit. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can do, you know, you can be any skill level of golf to go through a fitting experience and, and, you know, our fitters will, well, hopefully other fitters too, will still work with you. If you are skying the driver, like crazy, it might turn into a bit of a lesson. If you're a very extreme now, don't come in for a fitting. If you've just taken the game up last week, a couple years in, you know, you're striking the ball, making contact doesn't have to be far. doesn't have to be consistent all the time, but decent strike. Like I said, a high handicapper is probably going to get more out of a fitting than a plus one or plus two handicapper will because there's so many more options to try and there's so many more things we can, I always call a little unorthodox to to certain ways that we're building equipment for people. Um, but the higher handicappers, I think are going to benefit the most out of a club fitting. Yeah, and it's, it's the idea and the ability to uh, really get dialed into to numbers. Right, because in in most cases, higher handicappers aren't even close to being optimized, and even lower handicappers. And I'm not going to say that I'm at the lowest end of the spectrum, but you know, it's it's pretty rare that in a case like I did, I know I did a video a couple of weeks ago uh, where you know I'm going to pick up 30 yards on the fly. Now, is that the common case? No. Now, there's a lot of factors going into that, whereas you know, picking up speed and those kind of elements that kind of led to all of that. Uh, but we've seen it when in other videos that we've showcased on the TXG YouTube channel, you remember, go over there and check it out, everybody. And if you listen, I'm going to say it right now, if you've gotten this far, if you like the show and we get all kinds of comments and on Instagram and stuff like that, I had someone reach out today and said they really enjoyed listening to the show, uh, to, to you and me and, and just getting deep into the whole club techie nerd stuff. Give us a like, give us the, the rating, the five-star rating and leave it leave a comment because it helps people find the show. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to do it all the time and give you the big plug and give you the spiel, but uh, it's something that I just wanted to mention because uh, it is, it is very helpful. So if you do like the show, thank you so much. Um, 
but it does come down to like, again, for Matt, for like a lower handicap player who strikes the ball. Well, when we tuned all those uh, players, uh, players, cavity backs, I guess like forge players, cavity backs or small cavity backs, put him into the same shaft. He was hitting almost the exact same numbers. Mm -hmm. Now he is obviously a, a very good ball striker. And there was a lot of factors going into those club heads, but to your point, like, Someone who is, say, on the slower end of the swing speed spectrum or someone who has a, a, path, a face-to-path ratio that they, they can't really control, if you get any of those things dialed in very quickly, you're going to quickly tighten up their dispersion. And in most cases, that's all they're looking for. 100%. And, and I mean, that's where, you know, throughout a fitting, you know, I try to speak to the customer a little bit more going, listen, we've we've checked these three boxes off, you know, dispersion, distance you know, descent angle, all these, all these certain things We're we're hitting everything in a proper window. I said, if I can create you to become more autopilot, that's got to start shaving strokes off your game. And, um, that's one thing that's when it clicks is everyone can gain it. Di- oh, I shouldn't say everyone can gain distance, but a lot of the times in a fitting, let's call it a driver fitting. People want distance. Distance is the big, the big D everyone wants the distance. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, there's only so much distance that we can achieve, but if we can tighten up dispersion and tighten up accuracy and all that jazz, not only are you hitting it straight or more accurate, but your strokes have to start dropping if you're in the fairway more than if you are in the left, right, left rough or the right rough. So that's the big thing for, for me throughout a fit is I try to explain that a lot to a customer and obviously, you know, still being indoors, but having the ability to go on the Hawk and, you know, they're like, I struggle with a dog leg right or struggle with a dog leg left. Well, we can put them on a golf course and they're like, right, pick your target, start hitting your your shots, and you can start to see them find the fairway a bit more. That's when it's it's a little bit more eye-opening for the customer. And it's not all about distance. It's, you know, it's about, you know, call it strokes gained almost. You are we're really trying to save you as many strokes as we can. That's a that's an extremely good point. And I think for those who are are always curious and you know, we've talked about it a number of times on the the channel I've talked about it. I've, I've written pieces about it before in the past about um, like things you should do for fitting, right? Like how to prepare, how to get ready. Like if you're not comfortable in a fitting or there's something you're no, you don't like, if it's a club or a shaft or a feel that you're having, the best thing you can do is communicate that to your fitter because the fitter is the one who's responsible for changing it. It's like a shoe size. Someone gives you the small shoe and you don't like it, or it's rubbing a certain way on your foot. Don't stand there and say, I'm going to go for a a 10 mile run and let you know what I think. Talk about it now, because that way it allows you to improve. I had that exact experience recently where I, I always seem to struggle hitting into a range when it's on a screen. Mm. And so we changed it around to look at a golf hole and boom, like locked in right away. And I think, you know, for anyone out there, listen or like not listen to your, like your conscience, right? Like you listen to like that little voice in in the back of your head. I know someone reached out this past week and they're like, listen, this is the situation that occurred in my driver fit. What do you think I should do? I don't, I'm not really sure about it. Like you've already answered your own question. You're not sure if you're not sure. And you're not feeling confident with the decision that you made. If you spent that money, talk to that fitter, go back to that place because you should have communicated that in the first place, which is fine. I understand people being nervous about that, but at the end of the day, you got to be able to be confident. When you leave that, those are your golf clubs going forward for probably a while. So you want to make sure you are 100% confident in that decision, regardless of how much money you spent on it. It doesn't really matter. Um, Did you have any other questions, Mike, uh, that came in this week? I know you you put a a big Q&A. Yeah, I had a build-related question on uh, Sunday, and it's one we 
I get asked quite a bit uh, and I've got, you know, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but um, it is how many times can you reuse a steel iron shaft? So you've got a Nippon Modus 120S brand new, put it into a set of mirror baby blades. Then next week you get a set of P7TW. So you want to take your Nippon Modus 120Ss and put them into those. How many times can you reuse a set of steel shafts? So if if we are going to, first of all, ignore the idea of bottom board to ground measurement, which means if you take shafts yeah. from one club and this applies to drivers, fairways, hybrids, everything, and put them into other golf clubs, the length will change because the bottom of the bore to the bottom of the club head will change. So in like a club like a Mira or a TaylorMade, it's, it's a little longer, it's a little shorter. So if we ignore that completely and say that, you know, length is going to be the same every time you're just pulling the shaft from all these different clubs for steel, you know, four or five times when done correctly and not sanded to the nuts and it looks like a pencil. It's not a big deal. It's about low consistent heat, being able to pull it off. Now, if you're dealing with anything sub say 80 grams steel, you can't really start sanding a lot. And in that case, you're just going to really lightly buff with a knife. You're going to chop off all the old dried up epoxy. You're going to clean it out. And you're going to like, um, obviously clean the hosel or uh, shaft out in general, and then use light sandpaper or SOS or like a scotch bright pad really to just clean it up. So that to me with steel is, is not a big problem. After that, if you get into any extra heat, you're going to compromise the golf shaft. These shafts, like literally it's in the name of true temper have been tempered to be a certain like strength. So they don't bend and if you're applying too much heat and it cools and it's hot and it's cool and it's hot, it's cool, it's hot. It's not good for any metal period, right? You can only bend a paperclip so many times. Um, Now, as far as graphite is concerned, I would say, you know, two to three, again, it all comes down to the type of shaft. It all comes down to the weight, but uh, that's my opinion, Mike. Again, I've, I've had, you know, for me, it sounded really snotty, but like, I almost rather rebuild the new set of golf clubs and pull the 100%, set apart. 100%. It takes 100%. way less time. It takes so I'm, much less time. I'm exactly in the same boat. I've, you know, I've looked at hybrids when I had hybrids in the past and I go, well, I'll just put a Titleist tip on that. I don't know, out of that Callaway hybrid and I'll, I'll try it. And I go, oh, I'll just order a new shaft. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it obviously we have the luxury to do that, but yeah, I've, I rarely am swapping shafts in and out. No, I'm, I'm, I've never swapped sh- swap shafts in and out, uh, in irons, but, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. You know, you can do it definitely a few times on some irons, regardless of if you're not thinking about length graphite, I don't know. I, I'll say max two times. Yeah. I, I think the, the difficulty is with so many graphite shafts, especially, and most people it's, you know, we talked about it just to the reference to the, the club head speed thing there earlier, the handicap thing, sorry. You know, most people are not using 120 gram, 115 gram, hundred gram graphite right. shafts. They're using 60, 70 gram graphite shafts. And that weight has to come from somewhere. And those walls are nowhere near as thick. And if you're trying to say, if, you know, people ask all the time, like there's epoxy in the tip of a golf shaft, how do you get it out? Well, you need a very small drill bit and you need some steady hands. And if you, if that drill bit goes sideways at all, you are taking layers of graphite. I can remember back in my day, messing around, the, the drill bit got a little sideways and pops right out the side of the graphite shaft. And I was like, well, that one's pooched. Now yeah. they were my own clubs. I was messing around. It's, it's, that's fine. 
But, you know, if, if you're trying to do something where you've got seven golf shafts and you just pooched your seven iron shaft, you're getting a new one anyways. But what damage have you potentially done to the other ones, which right. is always the big concern. So, again, when done correctly, this is always the caveat of like when I say these things, it's you can get the most out of it. But if you're if you're not paying attention, it's very easy to like you're one and done and it's it's gone. So uh, what else you got, Mike? Oh, what do you think of uh, George Russell to Mercedes, by the way? <laughs> It's good. It's good. It means, uh, you know, there's some openings at Williams. There's some openings at um, Alpha Alpha Romeo. There's openings. Um, I think Alex Albin will be a driver for someone next year, which I think will be great. I really hope uh, so. I've heard some some mixed rumors that if he was to go to Williams, he'd have to drop his Red Bull sponsorship, which is interesting because that's basically how the boy makes his money. Um, so it's uh it'll be interesting it'll be whoever he is uh driving for next year and i hope he is i will still cheer for ferrari even though it's a rough go and cheer for whatever alex Albon's doing because i think he's a great driver yeah i think he's he's really really good and um we could go we, we could do a, we could do a full hour on f1 if you wanted but um i think this is this is the stuff that makes it interesting right because you know we always people talk about trade deadlines in other sports and i'm you know, I've always been like pretty like kind of like a hockey guy. I know NBA trade deadline always has or offseason has a ton of like uh, action going on. But the cool thing with F1 is like there's only 20 spots. Yeah. Right. So there's so much analysis of who could go. I know I know a big fan, I'm a huge ghastly guy. So to see him stay at AlphaTauri with Yuki, uh, those seem, those guys seem like a little match made in heaven. Um, two guys that I really like to follow. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think it's, it's one of those cool elements of, you know, what I like about watching F1 is that, um, you get to see this. And I think with, uh, Kimmy retiring and then, uh, Valtteri going over there creates a lot of opportunity for a lot of people. And I think like Valtteri still, still like, you know, he's a great driver, whether he's Mercedes or he's Red Bull or he's Mercedes, um, Alpha. If he's yeah, if he's alpha, he's still a great driver. Um, and I, I still think you will see a lot of you'll see him on a podium a bunch next year, 100 percent regardless of the car. I think he's a great driver. Um, I think this gives him more freedom. Um, you know, best of luck to George, because I think it's you know, it's still a Lewis camp. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting. As as long as Max doesn't win, that's all that matters. So <laughs> Oh, see, that's just a dig. I know that was a dig right there. It's you know what I what I don't want to see and what I don't think we will see is the um, Daniel Ricardo Max Verstappen year at Red Bull where they just went after each other and you know because I think you know I think Toto writes a, runs a tight ship. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyways, so we digress there for our little chat. Um, got any more questions there, Mike? Before we you know I think I got a couple more, but I want to see what you got. What do I got? What do I got? Um, awkward silence. No, no, this makes for great radio, Mike. This is what we want to do here. I know. Looks like you're squinting, like you need your glasses, buddy. I've left them at work, and my eyes are on fire. Okay, so here, fire away, fire away with one of your questions. Okay, so here's here's a question I I got, and, and it's it's one that I I think we get quite a bit because I I still think people are very confused when it comes to adjustable drivers. For yourself. Are you adjusting the face angle to fit a particular ball flight or a look? And the way I say that is, let's say a company A doesn't make a 
9.5 degree driver. Let's see, I know most companies make a lot of different options, but let's just, I digress. Someone wants a nine degree driver and mm-hmm. they only offer a 10 degree and an eight degree. What is going to ha- help? What is going to cause you to change to one or the other? They are all the same. They are both the same driver heads. One's at eight, one's at 10. Which one are you taking to nine and for what reason? I'm going to take a 10. Well, all depends on the person, but I'm personally going to take a 10 and lower it to nine. Um, Cause that will potentially open the club face, potentially sit the club a little bit flatter. just suits my eye a bit better. I don't like something that's very upright, shut and closed. Um, so I would take a 10 and just open it up a bit to a nine. Now in the, in the other way around, if, if you're fitting somebody and they are someone who needs to like change that start direction, talking about a right-handed golfer, a little bit more to the left. You want to add the loft to close the club face. Is that the scenario where you're going to do that? Or is there some case where no, someone wants to is, could be like more of a fade player and they want to straighten it out and they have a, they have a fast swing speed and they still maybe want to play a fade. They just don't want to see the big one come into play. Is that the scenario there? Definitely. I mean, both, both ways, both ways. Right. I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff with, you know, when it comes to that type of player, there's a little bit more that we can play with if they're, you know, if they're that type of skill level, I don't find many high handicappers potentially wanting to hit a fade. Um, everyone wants to hit a draw, uh, which is, which is weird to me, but, um, you know, I would say for, for changing that direction, you would, it's, it's still going to still going to alter look and, and shot shape, but you're right. It's, it's rare that you would really go upright in that low loft. I know we're only talking about those low lofts, but I would go to a totally different design of head to sit like that for someone. And it's so unorthodox, but I'm trying to go through the fit in my head right now, but I would definitely go a whole different direction rather than loft up a, an eight degree. Yeah. I gotcha. I hear you. I know like I, I've, I've seen cases where um, I'd love to see like a low lofted offset driver for in some cases for some players. Um, I've heard it before. I, I always think my dad's like a perfect example. He's over the top. He adds loft. He loves an offset driver, but they yeah. don't make anything lower than eight degrees. And I've talked to a lot of fitters in the past. Uh, friend, uh, I think he's uh, Kirk Gurry, uh, mm. Pete's, I think competes golf. Yeah, he's a fitter, New York pro, great golfer, great fitter, um, very articulate when it comes to communicating. He was a wicked guitar player, by the way, which he posts yeah, a lot yeah. of videos um, during the like you know during lockdown in New York. But um, one of the things that he always said was, you know, so many players come over the top at loft that, you know, that is a draw, it gets a fade driver. But if you get something with offset, that was like, it sounds silly, but like eight degrees or like a true nine degree driver, not nine degrees measuring at 12 degrees. If you could get that to somebody and you could, you could literally shift their entire start direction and launch angle to the left, how much and knock some spin off, how much straighter that would go is, is like a fascinating kind of thing. Cause there are the players out there that I think would benefit from messing with face angle and loft and, and loft high or low doesn't mean you're a fast or a slow swing speed player. It's just about the dynamics that you create at impact. And as always, we always say it comes down to the fit. Now, before we tune off today, Mike, a couple of things. Remember, you can follow along RDS Brath on Twitter and Instagram. Mike, give them the handles. Mike TXG Insta. And uh, so for me, I always do, I will be doing the Q&A again uh, this week. Try to get, I, I 
to everybody that does and follows along, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know uh, I don't get to all the questions because you get so many coming in at this point. Um, but I'm not to the I'm not to the swipe up link. I need to get to the ten thousand so I can do the swipe up link and start kind of tagging other things in and start tagging your little butt in there, Mike. Um, but the reason I want to ask this to you is because in a couple of weeks, we're very excited to announce we have Marty Jertson from Ping joining us on the podcast. We're going to be talking about the new Glide Pro wedges. We're going to be talking about the new I-59 irons, which if you haven't checked it out already, we posted that video uh, yesterday on our YouTube channel or, or Tuesday of this, this week of uh, our, our testing of the new iron, uh, going through the technology and seeing it's very consistent in performance. It's uh, really cool. Uh, and there's a lot of technology packed in there. So we're going to talk to uh, Marty about that. Um, also, the one thing we're going to talk about, which is a new thing from Ping, and that is the... Uh, the balnamic fitting. Now, if, if we weren't sure about this yet, we can basically confirm, because I used to bug my ping reps all the time, there's absolutely zero chance of them ever producing a golf ball. So now that we know that for sure, they're taking all of their data and giving you, the user, the opportunity to go through a ball fitting for, I think it's $39.99, and gives you so much information. It is unbelievable. Mike, have you gone through it yet? Because I had a chance to go through it. I was shocked, and I'm super excited to talk to Marty about this. I have not gone through it. I'm going to go through it uh, over on the weekend. I'm uh, going to bring the laptop with me on a, on a flight and and do some work. So I'm definitely going to play around with the uh, with the website. It's uh, it's something that's really cool, and we're very excited to talk to Marty about it because uh, you know Ping, all the companies do it. You know, Callaway talks about a lot of the AI that they use when it comes to club design and face design and all these different things. But as far as testing facilities go, I think. Two of the most impressive ones that I've ever seen is Oceanside, California for Titleist. One of the coolest little like buildings. I know Mike, Mike, you're giving me the big nod here. I think you've seen it before. It is unbelievable. It's so freaking cool to go through that place and see how big it is and see all the stuff they have to offer people. And then the other one to me is Ping. Mm. Like they are an engineering company. They've always been an engineering company. They are still a family owned company, which I always think is very cool. And when you get to talk to their people like Marty or Paul Wood or Eric, um, like all those guys, like they are fantastic and ridiculously smart people. And I always think that's one of the coolest things. So uh, if you have, Mike, you got to try it. And for those who, uh, who haven't tried it yet, I highly encourage you to do it right now. I believe it is only United States only. I know those are asking if I have done it. Yes, I have done it. Um, it was because I was given up very clear and upfront. I was given a promo code to test it out and see what I thought. So uh that's why I did, but nonetheless, it's a really cool thing. And we're very excited to have Marty on the show. Uh, and I think Mike, I think that's it for us, buddy. Thank you, sir. That was fun. That was a good chat. You know, we, we talked, we talked everything. We, we, we didn't go too hard on the FedEx cup. Uh, I, I thought I was going to go harder there, but you know, I like to keep the reins back because at the end of the day, it is, it is, as Rory said, it's an entertainment product. It's fun to watch. I tuned in. I'm not going to say I didn't tune in and watch it. So, uh, it is, uh, nonetheless, it is golf and it's exciting to watch. And, uh, we're always going to, you know, a couple more weeks, we got the Ryder Cup, and we are going to touch on that next week, which is going to be very exciting. Mike, Love as it. always, thanks for the chat. Mm-hmm.